Hello, this is Pastor Mo, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. Well, today, since it is uh, graduating senior day, uh, we're going to ask our associate pastor, now, we've already made arrangements, I'm not just asking on the spot, but our associate pastor is going to uh, share a message today, and also it's his birthday tomorrow, so this is his birthday message as well, but uh, happy birthday then. All right, so uh, let's uh, uh, welcome Pastor Adam. Morning. I'm glad Pastor Mook said something. I really thought if you're new here, you might be worried why the uh, second guitar was stepping up to preach today. <laughs> we must be struggling for some sermons. If, uh, if that... no, I'm, I'm. Don't worry. I'm licensed. I'm ordained, and all that other stuff. I know how to read the Bible too, so we ought to be good. Um, anyway, if you if you have your Bibles, I want to go ahead and invite you to open up to Matthew. Uh, and while you're looking, I, I want to kick off and share. Some just some stats with you. I don't know about you, but I like stats. I didn't like taking statistics class, but I like stats. I like kind of getting a an e perspective uh, percentage wise, numbers wise of uh, how things look. It helps me to I guess focus and arrange them. And some uh, some funny things that uh, I came across. Did you know that seventy percent of people identify as dog lovers? So dog lovers, you're in the majority. You're winning out over the rival candidate cats. So uh, 39% of homeowners who know, uh, don't know their neighbors' names. Realize that? 39% of homeowners do not know who their neighbors are. They may know their faces, but not their names. 37% of people have never moved away from their hometown. And I, I moved around a lot, so it's just strange to think that, but most of the people I know didn't leave St. Martinville. So 21% um, of people say that they are online almost constantly. So, I mean, obviously they take breaks to sleep, I guess, but... 21% of people today are online almost constant. Here's, an, here's a funny one. 35% of water use comes from fl flushing your toilet. So if you want to save on your water bill, flush less. 70% um, of the world's toys are made in China. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and uh, these last two. 75% of American households, women, manage the money and pay the bills. Isn't that interesting? So, Pastor, if we want to increase tithing. We, we need to gear toward women, apparently. Um, th this is for all the men. Statistically, did you know that being a fisherman is the most dangerous profession? Did you know that? It's true. Being a fisherman is the most dangerous profession. They have more people die fishing than any other profession, and that's from the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Now, I got to warning. I don't know if that's from actually fishing or because wives get upset about husbands going fishing and do something about it, but, you know. Um, I started off wanting to share statistics because this morning we went through our health assessment. Uh, and, and as a church, we, we got you all together this morning to be able to, to get a picture of what our church looks like. Where, where are we? Statistically, are we hitting where we need to hit? Are we missing um, areas that, that we need to be hitting and, and be able to adjust from there? And I think it's a good practice for people in general to kind of look at where we are spiritually, where, where we as an organization are spiritually. 
This last year, I've really been challenged to look at what is the purpose of a church? What, is a, what purpose does it serve? I mean, is it strictly to disciple? For people to come, for Christians to gather to disciple, is it more supposed to be reaching out? And everything that falls kind of in between all that and, um, and thinking about the health assessment and, and thinking about just my experiences with churches and, and in ministries and stuff, uh, it, it was really uh, hard not to look at ourselves and say, do we as a church measure up in the areas that we should be measuring up? So I'm hoping that the health assessment will really give us an idea that if we're missing the mark on something, we can start making changes. Our 60th anniversary is this year. This church has been ministering to Broussard, Louisiana for almost 60 years. Isn't that amazing? In September, we're going to celebrate that. But 60 years is a long time, and many of you who, who are six year older, you go and get checkups at the doctor to make sure everything's going right, right? Heck, I'm, I'm turning 40 tomorrow, and I'm already hitting the doctor more often than I used to when I was in my 30s, just to make sure that things are working the way they should. There's nothing wrong with finding out where you are and saying, okay, I need to make adjustments to my life. I need to make adjustments to my schedule. I need to make adjustments to my focus and be intentional in working on the areas where I'm, I'm falling short. I want to share some, some more statistics. These aren't as, as funny. Um, <clears throat> did you know if we took the world's population, 7.5 billion people on this earth, and we tried to, to show them in about 100 people, 31 of those people would be Christians. Now, that's pretty good. Now, that doesn't mean that they're all evangelical, they're all, they're all saved and have a relationship necessarily with Jesus Christ, but they all identify as being Christians. Which is pretty awesome because we say one-third of the population is at least headed in the right direction, if not in the right direction. But it's sad when you look at the other side and you say 70% of the world's population won't make it into heaven. That says something not about the world, but our effectiveness as a church. Not just here in Broussard, but across the world. That we're falling short reaching people across our globe. And it's, it, it was a command, it was an order, it was an instruction given by Jesus Christ to do that. And it's something that we, as our church here and as a church culture across America, need to be focused on. And the other side of that statistic, of those 116 people do not identify with any religion. Whether that's they just don't affiliate with the religion, but they're spiritual, or they're atheists or agnostic or anything like that. 16% of the world's population pretty much have nothing that want nothing to do with churches. And that number is growing steadily more and more. In the last 20 years, it's doubled. And it's expected to continue to grow in the next 20 years. People want less and less to do with God because the world is offering more and more that is trying to satisfy or meet the needs that only God can fill. I mean, look around you. People are inundated, especially in America, with everything. It's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be bombarded with information, with uh, uh, family, phone calls, work, hobbies, you know, and then you've got everything else that you have to do. And if you've got kids, you've just tripled, doubled, or however many, depending on how many you have. We get busy. Um, a magazine that I've been getting, and if, if, uh, if you don't know about it, I want to encourage you because it, it's, it's a pretty neat magazine. It's called Facts and Trends. It's one that Lifeway pull, puts out. And uh, if you don't know who Lifeway is, it's where uh, a lot of Southern Baptists get a lot of their literature from. <clears throat> and so uh, the information in there uh, is very trustworthy. It comes from solid sources. You know that it's backed up, that they've done their research uh, to find out this information. <clears throat> Did you know that 
56% of Southern Baptist churches are in decline and will likely fail in the next 10 years. It says a fall, 2017. 9% of Southern Baptist churches across the U.S. are plateaued. They're neither growing nor declining. They've reached a point where they've just gotten comfortable. But statistically, of that 9%, most will go into decline within the next few years. That leaves about 35% of churches that are growing. Now you think, well, that's, you know, at least we've got some growth. We're showing something positive. But I want to tell you that of that 35%, 28 to 29%, the growth comes from just circulating the saints. They're just picking up Christians from other churches, whether it's from moving, dissatisfaction, or whatever other reason. It's not real growth. It'd be like if we decided to take half of First Baptist Youngsville and include them for a Sunday. Six to seven percent of churches across the U.S., Southern Baptist churches across the U.S., are experiencing growth through reaching the lost. Which is the only true way to grow. The, the only way that we should be focused on growing is making sure that we are reaching the lost, because that is what we were commanded to do by Jesus Christ. We were instructed to reach the lost. And I think it's sad that only 6 to 7% of our Southern Baptist churches are doing that effectively. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do it and other churches aren't doing it and aren't striving in some ways to do it. I don't want you to hear me say that. But there's something different about the 6 to 7% that they're doing it in such a way that they are growing. And I thought it would be interesting for us as a church to look at some of those ways because uh, I think it could be beneficial to us. Um, before we move on to that, though, I want to share that statistically as well, most Christians who say they share their faith often only do it when the opportunity comes up unexpectedly. And that's just generally across the U.S. That's not necessarily limited to Southern Baptists. That's just Christians in general. That they are happy and excited about sharing their faith if it comes up in a conversation. <laughs> Somebody happens to say, oh, you know, what do you believe? Oh, well, let me tell you all about it. Most people don't. Most people don't intentionally go looking for conversations about Jesus Christ with other people. That shows something about our changing world, because that's across the denominations. Something else to look at is that more than 25% of Americans would say that they are spiritual, but not religious. That's telling as well, because they believe that there is something else out there. They believe that there's something bigger than themselves. May even believe in Christianity but have an issue with organized religion in some form. They're disgruntled. They're frustrated. They feel like churches have let them down. They're not doing what they're supposed to. And if you look at the fact that there are 56% of churches that are in decline, it says something about our effectiveness as a church culture. We're not reaching the needs of people. And again, I say we, I, I, I don't necessarily mean our church specifically. I'm talking about culturally in America, we are moving away from being a church-centered nation. Where church was the social hub of everything that went on for the last, what, 100 years here in the U.S., maybe longer? 200 years. Church isn't the center of, of life. It's an atom. Something you tag on on a weekend when you have time on a Sunday, you can make it. And that says something about churches that they aren't drawing people in, people who are excited to be here day in and day out, who want to be here every time the doors are open. 
We need to change that in America, within ourselves, possibly. And so I mention all this because I want us to start looking and, and really critically saying, are we doing what we need to do? Uh, as I asked you before uh, to open up your Bibles, uh, go to Matthew chapter 9. And of the 6 to 7% of churches that are growing, there are three main factors that all of them identified that were the same. And they're, they're pretty easy factors. And I want to tell you something. What's nice is that these factors have nothing to do with money. Not specifically. It's not like we need to throw a better program than the church down the street or try and match them. We don't have to offer the same level of services or things that other churches are doing. This is why, this is why these statistics are so amazing. Because these churches are growing regardless of the size already. Because they're doing these three things. The first one. Where's the clicker? I forgot to grab that. Oh, here we go. Sorry. Sorry, guys. First factor is intentional evangelistic outreach in the community. Community. What that's saying is that there are activities and ministries that specifically go into the communities with a focus and an intent to somehow share the gospel in those activities. It's one of the main things that they're doing is that they have activities that take place outside of the church. And the purpose is not just to provide a service, a ministry or something else, but also to share the gospel. That doesn't mean we necessarily need to go stand on the streets and shout about Jesus. But if we take dinners, if we help repair homes, if we are here for you, Acadiana is a great one, because we're already reaching into the community with that one, but making sure that we're intentionally evangelistic about it. And that's what this first factor is. And I want you to look at uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And this is Jesus talking um, to his disciples after he after the Sermon on the Mount, after he's had tons of followers following him all around and he's done healings, he's fed people and stuff. He looks out on the crowds and he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Same is true today. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Ideally, we will never have enough workers to cover the harvest. But if you look at the world today, most of us maybe are reticent to share our faith because we feel like well, nobody wants to hear about it. But Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful. People want to hear about our faith. There are people in Broussard who want to hear about the gospel, who want to know about Jesus Christ. No matter how standoffish they may be at first or anything like that, they want to hear about it. And we need to make sure that we're going out and sharing and that's the first thing to point out. Don't be afraid or go into it already defeated, un- assuming that people don't want to hear. Go into, whether it's your work, people you do hobbies with, you compete with for sports and things like that. Whatever it is that you do, go into it assuming that there is someone there who wants to hear the gospel. Because if you walk in with an attitude that no one wants to hear it, you've already defeated yourself and more than likely you will not share the gospel. Second uh, part I want to mention is that Jesus directed his disciples to pray for more workers. How often do we pray and ask the Lord to send more people to do work? 
And I don't know what that answer is. I guess we could have put it on the, the survey sheet. But ideally, we should be praying and asking for more workers. That should be our heart's cry. Lord, please send more because we can't do it. Amen. And it's the sense Jesus was, praying, Jesus was saying this after he had gone out and been healing, been reaching people. One man alone was not enough, and he reached thousands. We have a whole church here with a population of almost 10,000. There's no way we'll reach everybody on our own. We need to pray that the Lord will send more work. Something else that goes with that is that not just praying, but in asking for workers, we're not just asking for people to come and fill the pews who will go out and then say, oh, hey, do you know the gospel? Do you know Jesus? Can I tell you about it? We're looking for workers, people who are excited about their job working as part of the church, who want to get involved in ministries, who want to volunteer and be a part of what's going on, people who want to say, I'm part of that ministry. My church and us are doing these things in the community. People who want to work. We need workers, not just talkers. We need people who are going to go out and work with the intention of sharing the gospel along with their work. And as a church, we need to support those when they come in. As new ministries are brought up, we may need to look at, does our budget include a chance to reach out to the community with with the gospel? Do we have the systems in place to be able to bring in volunteers to help these workers as they come? We need to plan for growth. Because if not, we won't grow. And what's neat is in the next chapter, chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 to go into towns to begin proclaiming the gospel in his teachings. It was immediate to go out and do it. Which means that we pray and then we go out. We should be setting the example of the new ones who are coming in, what it means to go out and be workers. So when it comes to telling others about Jesus, I want to ask yourself, are you a worker? So to finish off this first point, I want you to ask, Father, am I a worker? If not, make me one. Show me what it means that I can be a worker in this church and in this community. Our second point, I forgot those two pages. Our second factor is that intentional personal relationships with prayer to have a gospel conversion. It's a lot of big fancy words to say that in any relationships that you have, you should be intentional that Jesus comes up. Turn over to Matthew 28, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, and this was after he had um, died on the cross and been resurrected. Jesus comes uh, near and says to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to challenge you with, with, with something new. I was in a, a great Bible study this year, in fact, with Dr. David Carlton. Um, and we, we began to look at discipleship. The first part of that passage, to go out and make disciples. Have you ever wondered why that came before baptizing? Often baptizing is associated with making a decision. And I want to challenge you that discipleship begins before a person comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because Jesus' disciples who followed him were more than just the 12. They were his core disciples. 
But he had many disciples who followed him who wanted to hear more about what he was teaching, to see his miracles be performed. They were interested in learning more about Jesus Christ. And the process of discipleship begins at that first conversation in your relationships as you meet and get to know people and you share with them about Jesus Christ and live it in such a way that they're interested in learning more. That begins the discipleship journey. Hopefully at some point, they want to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But discipleship begins before. And it's important to realize that because if you wait to start getting people to really love Jesus and develop a love for him after they get saved, you've missed the time before that to begin to develop the love for him. When I met Misty, I didn't propose to her the first time I met her. We dated. We courted. We flirted. I'm not saying you do all that with Jesus. but <laughs> You know, this, this idea, we got to know each other. And I began to fall in love. And at that point, I realized, I don't really want to be with anybody else. Nothing else looks good. I, you know, she's the best. And I committed myself to her. And since then, she's been teaching me all the things that I need to. <laughs> all the commandments, right? Discipleship begins before conversion, before making that decision to accept Jesus Christ, because it's a great opportunity through your relationship as you are intentionally sharing how Jesus has impacted you to begin showing someone else he loves you too. Fall in love with him. Get to know him the way I know him. And then they're like, he's all I want. I don't want some other religion. I don't want some other teaching. I don't want anything else because I've seen in your life and in my life, he's been consistent and faithful. I want him. And then, after baptism, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. That's where the second step of discipleship begins. The learning to be his completely. When I got married to Misty, I, you know, I mean, in name and in paper, we were together. That didn't mean I understood what it meant to, to live with somebody else and to become one person, as the Bible commands it, right? It's taken time. We've been married 18 years almost. I still don't know it all. Those of you who've been married longer, I've heard you say the same thing. But I'm learning. I'm observing. Figuring out the things she likes. She's been asking me to put new smoke detectors up, and she had to go away to Dallas so I could do it as a surprise. 18 years of marriage right there, surprise her with new smoke detectors. <laughs> Sorry, I had another verse. Just to emphasize, uh, well, did I break it? Anyway, John 6, 66, uh, when Jesus begins to get to what the meat of following him means, a lot of his followers couldn't accept it. And it says in John 6, 66, now I don't know if there's, Correlation with being 666, but many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many disciples turned back and no longer followed him, which lends more evidence that discipleship begins before conversion. Because then Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are y'all going to leave too? Peter proclaims, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. <coughs> Peter and the disciples are bought into it. They understood and were ready to make that commitment, that next step. The others who couldn't do it, and they walked off. If y'all can, just pop up point three. Oh, sorry. Um, 
So I want to encourage you, be intentional with every relationship that you have because you never know when you'll begin the discipleship process. And I'm not saying go out and make friends just to share Jesus, right? You're not just going to go out and, and like, oh, I want to get to know that person just so I can share the gospel. That's not genuine. But you can't help meeting people in all the areas of your life. God will bring people into your life. And as you become friends with them, you should intentionally want to share a part of your life with them. That is the most important thing that's ever happened to you. And that's salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Amen? I'd be a poor husband if I never talked about having a wife and kids to people I became friends with. I talk about my hobbies. I'll ask people, you know, hey, you like playing video games? You like sports? You like music? Right? I share my interests with them. Not because I go out and look for other guitar players or other people who play instruments or video gamers and things like that. But because I'm sharing who I am. And if Jesus Christ is a part of my life, then I should want to share that so they can know me better. Which means that our conversations need to be flavored with how important Jesus Christ has been in our lives. And what he does for us daily. Our third point. Oh, there we go. Our third factor is vacation Bible school. Now you think, man, we do great on that one. We have vacation Bible school. And it's good. And what vacation Bible school represents is intentional evangelistic ministries in the church. We do a lot of things in our church. We, we do a lot for, for church members. But for many churches, VBS is probably the only time that there is an intentional sharing of the gospel within the activity. Our VBS is wonderful. Every midway through the week, it's been Wednesday for years. This, this year will probably shift up because we're doing it at night in July, and we may do it on the Tuesday night. But every Wednesday at about 10 o'clock, Pastor Mokes come in and share the gospel for the last almost 10 years or longer with the kids who come in here, hundreds of kids who come and sit down and listen to the gospel. Now, we do tons of other things. We play games. We do music. We have fun. We do lessons. We disciple but we specifically share the gospel message. A program here within the church that people are coming to. They send their kids to come hear about Jesus. Right? We need to do better about having or including evangelism, sharing the gospel with anybody who walks through these doors into programs that we have. Now, that doesn't mean we have to do it in every single thing. Right? Over potluck, we'll pray and, and then like, by the way, before y'all eat, I'm going to tell you Jesus is, you know, not, not necessarily that. But we need to begin looking for ways to include the sharing of the gospel within our activities here in the church, as well as in the community outside of the church. Acts 1.8 is one of my favorite verses, and if you've been in a class with me, we've done it tons of times. I, I like going through it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Two things I want to pull from that. The first part, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's like saying, I will throw a bucket of water on you and you will be wet. <laughs> it's not a Holy Spirit has come upon you and you have the option to be my witnesses. You have opportunities to be my witnesses. I hope you'll be my right. It's not conditional. In the sense that, or optional, I should say. It's conditional in the sense that if you have the Holy Spirit, you will share the gospel and tell about Jesus Christ. Because if you're not, there's two things going on. 
either you're doing, we, I don't use specifically, but we as a church are doing a great job of squashing the power of the Holy Spirit, working at it, which is a shame. The other side of it is the Holy Spirit isn't here. And I refuse to believe in seeing how many people have come through our doors and accepted the gospel in all of the ways we have ministered and loved and served people in this community that the Holy Spirit is not here. So the only option is that we are squashing it by not sharing the gospel. Because it's not optional. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will testify about how great he is in your life. Second side of that is where it will happen. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And a lot of times we take that passage and we, we, we kind of lay it over modern day maps. And we say, okay, well, Jerusalem might be Broussard. And then Judea could be like Louisiana or maybe our, our country. And then Samaria might be a neighboring state or a neighboring country, right? And to the ends of the earth are those places that we don't usually go to as churches. You know, we might support a missionary in, in, uh, in Asia, but the likelihood of one of us heading over there to live over there permanently uh, might be slim, right? That, that's that's kind of how we look at it. And although our mission field is the whole earth, our name is First Baptist Church of Broussard. Our mission field predominantly is Broussard, Louisiana. We are called more than, and we do a great job supporting missionaries and others who go share the gospel in, in, to the ends of the earth. But we are First Baptist Broussard, which means that our mission field predominantly is Broussard, Louisiana. And so I want to change that and look at my witnesses in Jerusalem include anybody who walks in our church doors. In all Judea and Samaria, the neighborhoods around our church. To the ends of the earth, Youngsville, City Limits Line, Lafayette City Limits Line, right? We need to be making sure that we reach in our church, just as effectively as we're trying to reach outside of our church. We need to be intentional, and that's the word I want you to walk away with today, intentional. Because, like I said, I, I think we as a church and we as a culture have an idea that, yeah, it needs to happen, and, it, and if it comes up, I'm happy to do it. But there's a big difference between walking into a room and kind of hoping it might happen, as opposed to walking to a room and expecting it to happen. Because if you don't expect it to happen, more than likely you're going to miss it, you're not going to be prepared for it, and you're not going to do it as effectively if it just happens. If you walk into a room expecting to talk about Jesus Christ, you're already thinking about, what happened today that I can share? What happened this week that I can tell people about? How has the Lord blessed me that I can say, you know what, I've been a Christian for X number of years, and even today he is still blessing and doing things in my life that I didn't expect. It's a total difference. Intentionality is the key. I want to leave you with, with this analogy. In our vision team meetings, we started off doing comparisons. Like, do you believe our fellowship would be more like a, a buffet or, you know, maybe a, a diet <laughs> uh, dinner, right? It, it's an idea to kind of get you an idea uh, of where we stand and using kind of everyday comparisons. And I want to ask you this. Our church as a whole, would you consider it more of a cruise ship or a rescue ship? I was on uh, Twitter. Those of you who are like under 40 probably know what that is. But, um, Twitter. I'm not on it that much. I barely know how to use it. I think I'm going to get one of the students to give me a tutorial. I actually asked a student last week to help me on Instagram to do better. He's like, sure, I'll come over and teach you everything you need to know. Sean Walker from the Bayou made the statement that said, um, 
I want to make sure I, I quote it right, because he got it from somebody else, he said. We are not a cruise ship to make Christians comfortable. We are here to be tools in the hands of God. That's been just running through my mind. Like I said, it, it's kind of been on my heart uh, for the last year, the purpose of church, purpose of church. What, what, what do we do? Where, where are we affected? Where are we not? Things like that. And this really stood out because it really begs the question, are we a cruise ship? Do we have a cruise ship mentality? So I began to, to look at some comparisons and say, a cruise ship. Do we prefer to be more comfortable or avoid things that make us uncomfortable? A cruise ship is all about comfort. If you've ever been on a cruise, and I've never been on one, but I've heard the stories. Man, there is food. You can sleep. You can sit. They have things all night. My brother went on one, and he said he can get up at 1 in the morning and go find food somewhere to go eat. That's comfort. <laughs> Wake up hungry for a hot dog and go and grab it. Right? Do we treat our church the same way? Cruise ship is about comfort and food and places to lay down for events. A rescue ship could care less about your comfort. A rescue ship is more interested and focused on the task of saving lives. And we're not talking about spiritual lives necessarily, although that's what the analogy is. But we're talk- They just get out. They go to, they're, they're not worried about making sure that, oh, you're going to have a nice place to sleep as we drive a few hours to go and rescue these people who are dying. They're not worried if you're going to have a great meal on the way. I mean, you probably got some rations you can eat real quick if, if it lasts too long. But the purpose is to get out and save people. And if you have all the, the, the trappings of comfort, that's less people you can save. That's less people you can be effective in reaching. Less ways to reach those people. Because you never know what you're going to get when you get into a situation of how difficult or how serious their injuries or their needs are. Which means you need to prepare to carry everything for them. Another way to look at it is, do we only stop at certain ports or go to places that we prefer? Cruise ship stops at certain ports. Like clockwork. You can get off for like, what, a day? You've got to get back on the ship or you get left. You've got to stay with, with the itinerary of the cruise ship. And if you don't like their ports or where they're stopping or the activities that they're doing, find another cruise ship, Right? I don't feel like going to the Caribbean this year. I think I'm going to do Alaska. I'll see cold rather than warm. My preferences. Are we as a church focused at only doing the things that make us comfortable rather than stepping out a little bit of our comfort zone? Because a rescue ship goes where the need is no matter what. No matter the comfort level, no matter the amount of volunteers. Man, they make movies about guys who he's the only one willing to go somewhere, and he steals a rescue boat to go out and rescue 500 people, right? That's movie heroics. Are we that willing to go and rescue wherever the need is, however dirty it's going to be, however difficult, dangerous, whatever? Are we willing to sacrifice everything to make sure that somebody comes to know Jesus Christ? Another comparison. Do we offer programs or entertainment geared toward passengers? Cruise ship caters to paying customers, right? You pay the money, the boat is yours. Everybody, you know, make sure that you are happy. Won't even let others get on. A rescue ship has no price and anybody can get on. Everybody is welcome to get on if you have a need and need to be saved. They'll squeeze you in. The boat only holds 300 and there's 400 people. They'll squeeze 325 if they can fit them in, in nooks and crannies, right? Just to get them out of there. And then they'll come back and do it again. Rescue the other 75. As a rescue ship, are we willing to step out 
and reach people that maybe we're not comfortable with. That's the Samaria part. Jews didn't like Samaritans. Couldn't stand them. And y'all, if, if we begin to reach people that, that normally we wouldn't be comfortable with, we need to be prepared for when they come to the church. Be excited they're here. Because they're not going to come looking like us, doing the things and the habits that we know to do, the familiarities with being in church. They're going to come messy, doing things differently, messing up our systems and the way we do stuff. Get it. Save them. Reach out to them. If we are a rescue ship, that's going to be our attitude. The last one I want to put out is the most telling question we can ask ourselves is, when you show up on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, Wednesday afternoon or whatever activity we have during the week, do we show up ready to work or ready to be comforted? Ready to be fed into, ready to be enjoyed? Because on a cruise ship, that's what happens. You show up ready to be entertained and lavished upon. On a rescue ship, you better expect that by the end of the day, you're going to be tired and worn out and sore and achy and dirty. And I think churches across America come, people who attend churches across America have gotten into the mentality, Sunday morning should be all about me growing in Christ. Which to some extent can be true. You should grow while you're here. That doesn't mean in your comfort. If you don't walk out of church comfortable on a Sunday, something's wrong. If you don't walk out of church on a Sunday morning tired and worn out because you were invested in the ministry, When the church doors were open, we missed something. We need to be a part of the ongoing daily work that happens here. We need to be supporting and encouraging and helping others. So I want to say this, that although there are many other comparisons we can make, the truth is I think most of our churches are closer to a cruise ship than a rescue ship. I think we kind of fall into that. And I don't think it's intentional. I don't think we do it on purpose. I think American culture has saturated us, and it's hard to fight against everything that is thrown at us. But it's a fight we have to make. We have to be intentional about saying, I'm not going to focus on my comforts. I'm going to focus on getting people to know Christ. Because I'm just as guilty. I have days where I'm like, I don't want to deal with anybody. My wife knows. She's like, let's go do this. I'm like, I'm not leaving the house. I don't want to see a person. Get it. I hate to say it, but it's true. I fall into it. I know y'all do too. We are not a church that's in decline, but we're not necessarily a church that's growing either. And we have a great opportunity looking forward to figure out what kind of church we want to be. Do we want to be a church that is growing? To be intentional about growing. From talking to many of you, I know that's what you want. But wanting and being intentional about getting there are two different things. And we need to be intentional and say we need to do the things that will help us to grow. So I want to, I want to invite you to start praying and looking at what that's going to look like in our church. As we celebrate our 60th, and it's coming up in a few months, what's that going to look like In the next five years, do we want to look back and say, that's where we took a step and have people standing up giving testimony saying, I came because somebody here invited me. Somebody reached out a hand who I never thought would and said, can I help you? By the way, I'm doing this because I love Jesus. I want you to know him too. 
because that happens today. Many of you know Pastor Moke's famous saying, today is the beginning of the rest of your life. For our church, that's true. Today is the beginning of what we can do going forward. It doesn't matter all the wonderful programs and ways and things we've, we've done great or succeeded or not succeeded in the past. Those don't matter, honestly. We're here and looking forward. So what are we going to do to get there? Are you going to come with me to do it? Will you join with me and the others across the nation who want to see changes happen that we start reaching them all? If so, begin praying about what that means. And that doesn't happen without a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're here today and wondering and you want to be a part of something that's going to be bigger, that's going to be better, that offers a hope that you can't find anywhere else. Today's the day that you can decide you want that. So move into our invitation time. Pastor Moke's going to be up here at the front. And I'll be down here. Maybe you need to come recommit yourself to the work that's going on here. Maybe you want to join the church and say, I want to be a part of the work that's going to happen. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ and something today sparked an interest to say, that's what I need. And I want to invite you to come up in the invitation. Just give a minute. If you want to bow your heads and maybe pray here or at the altar, I invite you to do this. This is Pastor Moke again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard in the message or read in the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.